0: The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line now is Peter Moroni, terrorism expert. Peter, good morning. Thanks for being on the program. Good morning. Thank you. When we spoke to you last time, I believe it was regarding the potential rise of right-wing terrorism, has this now situation in Afghanistan changed our focus somewhat and presented a new form of potential terrorism on the horizon over the next, say, one to two years?
1: Yeah, look, I'm not sure about a change of focus, but certainly in the terms of it. it's raised its head again and it's just going to be an alternative. Uh, Focus that we'll have to look at. We can't ignore the right-wing aspect either. So it's just going to create probably in the short term a bit of a headache for the intelligence community to look at where they're going to place resources.
0: And when we remember the Afghanistan situation back in the sort of early days of its modern time, I think we all remember those ads on TV, for example, you know, be alert, not alarmed. Are we heading back Mm. to those sorts of days?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's inevitable that we will. It's, it's, it is hard to imagine, I think, at the current climate with COVID and everything being locked down, and it is the way it is. But, look, I, I believe strongly that as we move back to whatever we call life as normal, uh, those sorts of messaging will certainly return um, because the world should hopefully start to return almost to normal.
0: How does a counterterrorism authority weigh up the resource allocations? As you say, there's a number of competing threats on the
1: horizon. Yeah, really good point and and quite a difficult one uh, to do. It's going to be looked at on multiple layers. You'll first of all look at the international uh, interests that are occurring overseas and what international threats are, are pointing back at Australians on Australian soil. You'll then come back to a national level and then that'll get stepped down to its state or territory levels and perhaps even to local levels. So there's multiple layers and it's constantly changing, as you could probably appreciate intelligence is coming in at us from all over the world and then obviously also domestically. So it's a constant review of that assessment and assessment of that intelligence to keep shifting focus as we need be.
0: And I'm assuming the concern is that people here may become radicalized by some of the messaging coming from overseas. If you were to try and stop terrorism right at the very source of it or uh, engage in prevention rather than responding to a, a critical security situation, are there any policies that can be implemented or any actions that can be taken here?
1: Yeah, look, I think we, before the world as we know it at the moment with COVID is, we did see a rise in in local radicalisation through through simple mediums such as Facebook and Instagram that were coming out of uh, Iraq and Syria at the time. So that, um, that methodology will still operate. And we seem to be doing reasonably well in that fight of that detection. So the current policies and procedures we had in place were working for the time. But you make an absolutely very good point in that. It's now some 12 to two years post that, technology's changed, platforms have changed, security around those platforms have changed, so we've clearly got to shift with that uh, and see cooperation from those large social media platforms that house all that material. What's the message for
0: the regular everyday citizens like us? What role do we play in all of this or do we just sit back and
1: leave it to the authorities? No, definitely not. And the role hasn't changed for us. It's, it's If we looked at, say, more traditional crime where we used to have programs and still do to a degree of you know, things like Crime Stoppers, our role is still very important. Law enforcement and intelligence don't have the numbers that we need to be able to do what we want to do. And community has always been such a large part of uh, seeing things and reporting things and feeding that information in. So that will come back to the forefront. Uh, I know it seems strange, particularly in the environment we're in at the moment with COVID and none of us can probably really move too far, but that will certainly come back into play. Uh, law enforcement intelligence cannot do it without the community support and assistance. And
0: when you saw that bombing in Kabul, what went through your mind? Was it an expected situation to some degree?
1: Yeah, look, I I think it is. I think you'll find any person that's been dealing with terrorism for some time. It's come as no surprise. The pace in which uh, the security environment changed in Afghanistan just caused a vacuum in the sense that US had moved out to a large degree we saw the Afghan army drop and run and law enforcement in that country leaving a pit of voidance in terms of for anyone to come in and fill it. You know, there are anecdotal stories coming out of Afghanistan about, you know, crimes and he gets just driving around in tanks and taking over what they will. There is no... The Taliban are doing what they can if we accept the media reports in trying to stabilise the security or what they call their security in that country. Uh, But it's just that the speed in which that changed so quickly just forced a a massive vacuum.
0: And uh, it doesn't look like things there will get better anytime soon. Is that right? (laughs)
1: Look, yeah, you know, not, not, not being a pessimist, but I think we've got to look at the facts of the situation is there is no security force per se within Afghanistan. We have the Taliban ultimately vying for control and wanting to become a recognized political party. It's going to remain in very simple terms a mess uh, for some six to 12 months until we can get some stability over there or they can sort it out themselves. But certainly you haven't seen the last of it at all. It's incredible the resources that they've got behind them.
0: I heard uh, apparently they've secured something like $85 billion worth of military
1: equipment from the US. Yeah, I, we must have read the same information this morning. I, I uh, almost put my coffee. <laughs> I, I'd, like to, I'd like to put down there might be a bit of ad lib to that story. I don't know what the source of that information was, but if it's accepted and the cache of material that was surrendered or left behind is mind-boggling to think why on earth in operable state was that left behind and i struggle with the fact that it was if it was it's 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 a travesty um i would have thought there'd been more care in destroying that equipment so it clearly can't be used against uh, anyone
0: well it's a challenge thank you so much for being on the program really appreciate it and uh we'll see how the situation plays out i'm sure we'll have you back at some stage and hopefully it's not talking about some new terrorist attack or threat here in australia no way. Stay safe. Thank you very much. Thank you. Peter Moroni with us there, counterterrorism expert. The Mitchell's Front Page podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.